Support for Switched on Pop comes from Stereophonic, Broadway's must-experience-new play. If you only see one thing on Broadway this year, make sure it's Stereophonic, written by David Ajme, directed by Daniel Aachen, and featuring original music by Arcade Fire's Will Butler. The play follows a 1970s rock band on the verge of breaking down, breaking up, or breaking through. The New York Times, The New Yorker, and New York Magazine call it best of the year and peter marks of the washington post says okay i'll go there stereophonic is the best play of the year get your tickets at stereophonicplay.com slash fox Welcome to Switch on Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. Charlie, today we are here to talk about one of the most popular songs in the Western world. Ooh. Uh, and it's, and it's not Taylor Swift. No. And it's not Lil Nas X. No. And it's not the Jonas Brothers. Okay. Let's just spin it. All right, what are we listening to here, Charlie? This is the morning edition theme song by NPR. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) And while this song is not at the top of the charts, this is absolutely part of the world of popular music. I mean, this is as as popular as music gets. This is heard by millions and millions of people every single day, morning edition being the most popular program on the entire radio dial. I had no idea. yeah. Oh wow! So this is like this is big. This is yeah. big. every. If if you're like like us, you've heard this is so familiar to you. Yes. Uh, Whitney says when she hears this, she smells toast. <laughs> it's like this synesthesia kind of interaction. You hear the morning edition theme song, coffee and toast. Yeah. I mean, this is like built into our DNA for a lot of us who have been listening to this song since it was first composed in 1979 to accompany the daily NPR morning edition news broadcast. But for the first time since then, yeah. there's a new morning edition theme song that's been released. I've heard it. I like it. Okay, so but we're going to get there. But first, I want to talk about like why a ubiquitous, incredibly familiar piece of music it works on us so mm. effectively. Right. So what I want to do is I want to break down this theme song in the first half. Yeah. And then the second half, we're going to dissect the new theme song. Yeah. And I, I'm, I, then I want to hear your take. Compare and contrast. Yeah. But let's just start like why? Like, again, this is uh, f- for a lot of us. This is just like, you know, as familiar as Twinkle Twinkle Little Star right. or something. So right. what is it about this song that's so effective and that screams like NPR, public radio, <laughs> news? Uh, smooth jazz guitar. Okay, we're going to get there. <laughs> but first, before the smooth jazz guitar, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the the harmonic motion in this song. First of all, like, what do you, when you think NPR, like, what do, you, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Drive Time News. Okay. Wonky. Yeah. Uh, balanced. Yeah. Balanced. Okay. Very that's very generous. Uh news newsworthy. Yeah, good. Okay. Let's go with that so far. We've got news, uh, you said wonky. Let's let's stick with those two things. Okay. All right. So it's like 
what, 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 current and sort of uh, erudite or yes. something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think there's a way that the music to this song, composed by B.J. Lederman way back in 1979, gives us that feeling of, like, erudition, intelligence, yeah. seriousness, yeah. even. Yeah. And that has to do with something called the Circle of Fifths. Yes, I, I remember the circle of fifths from uh, college harmony classes. In order to talk about this, we're just going to zoom in on part of the theme. We're just going to okay. zoom in on that like distinctive guitar part. Let's play that. Okay. Jazzy. No, stop! You're 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 <laughs> dropping the jazz bomb too soon. We're here. We're here in classical harmony. Or land. classical. Yeah, harmony. yeah. We're talking about the circle of fists. So, get so erase oh. from your mind the associations of that sound of that smooth, sexy. Yeah. You know, vaguely familiar of uh, hold music, electric <laughs> guitar. I want to focus on the underlying harmony. In order to abstract it a little bit, yeah. I'll just play it on the piano for a second. Now, I'm going to argue that the reason that we get this sense of like, okay, this is serious, this is intelligent, yeah. this yeah. is going to tell me important things about my world, <laughs> is because it's using this ancient musical property called the circle of fifths. Yes. Let's take that line and abstract it even further, just into a series of harmonies. Yeah. Mm. You feel that, right? And I'm not going to get too deep into the theory here. Right. We're just going to say that when you hear this, I think you hear musical logic. Well, yeah, this is like when I studied classical music with you in school, one of the very first things you learn about is the fundamental sort of structure of harmony and the way in which chords want to move into each other. Exactly. And this is the sort of like underlying all of classical harmony is this this like meta superstructure yeah so fifths are a distance between two notes so we move from our first note g and the chord based around that note to our second note and our second chord c which is a fifth away from g a fifth below g exactly so that is like a really important relationship in classical music moving from a note that's uh, a fifth below right. and what we do after that is we take that new note c you're gonna go to f we move a fifth below that to f and then you know what happens after that charlie you're gonna go fifth below that fifth to below b that to b flat fifth below that to and that's where in in the morning edition theme the progression stops but we could keep going yeah, right yeah we could go onwards to a flat where we go now i feel like i'm actually <laughs> quizzing you <laughs> oh no I, you're, I'm, you're I'm back done. in your uh music 55 final shouts out to professor arlene cole we yeah. love you uh sorry a flat goes down to d flat and then a fifth below d flat is g flat and then a fifth below that is C flat, but we'll rename it as B major because yeah. that's a little nicer. And then a fifth below that is E major. Fifth below that, A, D. And now, where are we, Charlie, after D major? Right back to where you were at. Right back to G. It 
it's a very complicated way of spelling and music. You like basically go through uh, seven different letters and you just do so in obnoxious permutations until you eventually get back to where you started. Yeah. I don't know why you have to say, call it obnoxious. That seems <laughs> no, completely unnecessary. Confusing when you first learn it and then you learn to spell in funny ways. But the point being that there's this sort of wild underlying mathematics where if you start in one place, you keep going down five, eventually you end up back where you started. Totally. This is one of the like fundamental properties of Western tonal harmony right is that this this circle of fists on like undergirds so much and whether we're aware of that or not whether we have you know taken music 55 that is like present somewhere in our collective consciousness certainly well if, if we've heard classical music after morning edition and listen to Bach or Mozart, especially earlier classical music and Baroque music, you're going to hear these things. Yeah. And it's, it's like it's embedded in this stuff. And so you just associate it to classical music, right? There's like countless examples, but I'm yeah. just going to pull out one of my favorites. Here's yeah. a nice circle of fifth progression from Bach's Brandenburg Concerto, number five, first movement in D major. Let's have a listen. It's a jam. So every time it switches between the flute and the violin, you can hear it's moving from one fifth chord to another fifth chord. Mm. I remember learning that going through the cycles of fifth was a way of drawing out a composition so it could go longer and longer and longer. It's absolutely, and it's a way of like moving from one harmonic place to another. Yeah. It can also serve as kind of like a bridge or a, a harmonic highway, if you will. <laughs> So, yeah, it has this feeling of movement, uh, and which kind of makes sense if we're, I don't know, I think about how that applies in the morning edition theme song. I, I, I'm sort of waking up and slowly rising, and so this thing is kind of like moving me along. Yeah, okay, I love that. So it's giving you this this energy and momentum, and it's yeah. also reaching back. I mean, literally, when you hear Circle of Fists, when, especially in this Bach context, a generation later, you know, Beethoven and Mozart would look back to that sound, yeah. and they would call it the stile antico, like the old Antiquated style. Antiquated style. Like old school. Like yeah. that's an old, like literally, even in, you know, the, uh, the, <laughs> the late 18th century, that was being called old school. Yeah. So now it's like firmly got that association. Like this is old, this is venerated, this is serious. Mm. So it's like, you know, I think it's a good thing for a news program to say like, hey, we're going to be... We're going to be like reliable. We've right. been around since the 1500s, <laughs> essentially, and you can trust us. Right. We know what we're doing. Sure. Okay. Now, at the same time, let's move to the complete opposite end of the equation yeah. because there's things that at least in 1979 would sound very modern. Right. And that gets us back to smooth jazz. <laughs> okay. So we're going from erudition to contemporary newsworthy. Yes. But newsworthy in 1979. <laughs> okay. But I do have an ulterior motive here because okay. I want to understand the influence of smooth jazz here and maybe in doing so, give some credit to smooth jazz, exonerate, expiate, bring smooth jazz back into the light. You've been putting off this discussion for a long time because I keep hearing like inclinations of smooth jazz coming back, especially into some like LA hip hop stuff. Oh, a hundred percent. And you've been like, hold on. Yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> okay. no, it's time. Okay. And you know, and the derision in your voice when you first said those yeah. two words, smooth and jazz yeah. was palpable. To me. Right. Right. 
NPR, public radio, <laughs> news. Uh, smooth jazz guitar. Smooth jazz guitar. Smooth jazz guitar. I think it's, it is so sort you, of a cultural trope. It's yeah. like smooth jazz, bad. Yeah. So we're gonna, you're going to start. You're going to be our guinea pig for hopefully uh, a culture-wide movement <laughs> of, of, of re- reclaiming smooth jazz. I hope you don't jazz. skewer me and barbecue me. Okay. So when you think, you know, this theme, let's play it one more time. Hmm. I think one musical antecedent we can hear for this is a song that had come out the year before, yeah. or actually it was released in 1977, but in 1978 it hit the the charts and became super popular, hmm. and that was uh, Feels So Good by Chuck Mangione. Maybe mm. the only top 40 hit ever to, to feature the, the flugelhorn. <laughs> Ooh, okay. There's like a Latin thing going on. There's some really spunky bass happening and a really like legato, soft tone to yeah. the, the horn. You can say it. It's smooth. It's smooth. It's smooth <laughs> as butter. It's great. Yeah, no, I think these are definitely occupying like very similar sound worlds. Yeah. And it makes sense. This was a big hit, you huh. know, but it's An not instrumental just hit. Instrumental hit. Wow. Yeah. So it's, but it's interesting because it's not just, I want to talk not just about the sort of sonic similarities and the sonic world of smooth jazz, but also like kind of what it meant and what it signified and where it came from and where it came from. So we're kind of at the end of the seventies. Let's go back to the beginning of the decade because smooth jazz arises uh, from another jazz style called fusion. Right. Which, you know, starting with Miles Davis in the late 60s was really about bringing the sounds of rock and funk mm-hmm. and R&B into the world of jazz. And I think like, you know, there's many beautiful examples of this, but a, a crystalline one would be Herbie Hancock's Headhunters. Let's take the first track off of that, Chameleon. <laughs> Got that funk synth bass. Who's drumming? That is so Harvey good. Mason Sr. <laughs> oh, and it is like words fail. It's just pure <laughs> funk. You can't sequence that. And you got the guitar line. Okay, so I don't know about you, but to yeah. me, there's not much smooth about this. No, because the... This the, is... What's the opposite? This is rough. Yeah, it's this crunchy. This is rough funk, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is rough jazz. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, this was like a... This was a, a hit unto itself as well. This was actually played on the popular television program Soul Train. Like, this was oh, like... Yeah. This was a, a legit hit in its own right, but it's different. It's like... This is like a dance, get down, yeah. like sweat flying off your face kind of... Yeah. Kind of jazz fusion song. Yeah. So how does this transform over time? I have no idea. Okay, over the course of the 70s, a new market starts to emerge. You know, for a long time, jazz had been the dominant music for African-American audiences. That starts to change in, in the 70s. Huh. Fusion, you know, starts to take some of that audience. That audience starts to move to, to other genres that are popping up. 
and especially the adult audience that the adult African-American audience that listen to jazz is looking for something that they can grab onto. Maybe something that isn't quite so intense and funky and youthful. Sure. Maybe, but, but that has some of those elements, some of the jazz elements, some of the rock elements, some Uh of the funk elements. Uh And the answer to that lies in what would become known as smooth jazz. And we can hear a very like early iteration of that in a a George Benson song from 1976. So like right in the middle of the decade. Love George Benson. Called Breezin'. Uh, still funky, but I feel like I could lounge at home yeah. after a hard day's work. Yeah, it's got that rhythm, it's got that drive, but it's also like a little chiller. It's a little, yeah. it's like this is grown-ups music. Yeah. This is like, you know, yeah, put a little George Benson on, pour yourself a glass of Chardonnay, light a fire. <laughs> you know, this is like, this is music for grown-ups. Mm. I love George Benson, and I love smooth jazz, but, you know, we haven't really gone into the the beating heart of smooth jazz yeah we haven't gotten to the 80s when this genre really takes off and transforms from this more uh sort of niche adult african-american audience to something that's very mainstream and that's where it becomes a little more controversial and we start to get this negativity hmm. surrounding it and oh, i think interesting. is huh. there if there's one figure that encapsulates all of that who would it be charlie kenny g oh yeah There's an essential difference. There's many differences. Sure. But one of the things that I'm hearing when you get to the 80s is the introduction of all of these digital sounds. Digital keyboards, which are bright and shiny, as well as digital reverbs, which are these sort of impossible spaces mm. that you can hear on the drum hits, that big... Mm. And part of my association with smooth jazz is the actual production space that the thing is made in, what it sounds like, more so than even necessarily the notes. Mm. And all of those digital textures sound bright. They are actually having a resurgence right now in popular music. The artificiality of the actual way the music is made, I think, imposed upon my ear an idea of what's like real and not real. Mm. Where when we're listening to the Benson, you have some of those big, wide, spacious sounds, but made by an orchestra and in an actual reverberant space rather than with a, a digital effect. Yeah, no, and I, I and I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head of what people react so intensely to in the music yeah. of Kenny G is is this sense of artificiality not only in the sound of the recording as you're describing but also in his personality. He's not a real jazz musician. He's like a he's a sellout. He's a he's a phony. Mm-hmm. And I think this view is encapsulated by a jazz musician like Pat Metheny, mm. who described Kenny G as lame-ass, jive, pseudo-bluesy, out-of-tune, noodling, wimped-out, fucked-up playing. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Wow. He, he inspires a lot of animosity. Not holding back. <laughs> and, and you can read into this language, okay, so now it's time to like get on my soapbox and say, like, hey, leave Kenny G alone, <laughs> to paraphrase uh, Chris Crocker. Like... 
and and it's interesting to hear Matheny here. It's like a lot of this language too is very masculine, very macho. You know, mm. like he's yeah. not serious. He's he's like it's this is wimpy. This is this is not like yeah. you know supercharged macho jazz. I mean, I don't I don't mean to get ahead of you, okay. But I always feel like when I have some sort of subjective relationship to why something is aesthetically bad it's actually something else not the object itself mm, yeah. right it's like some other kind of cultural identity marker that is unsaid and so in this case you're like pointing to masculinity authenticity certainly right. as well i mean all these things are brewed together and come out like as kenny g you know jazz monster right so I, I we have to get back to the morning edition theme, <laughs> but I do I would I would feel remiss if we didn't take this digression to say hey everyone let's get like like check yourself Kenny G unmistakable remarkable saxophone tone like yeah. you hear that and in an instant you know who it is right that's He's, not something that just comes naturally that's that's hard work that's dedication to your craft would you call him the Jimi Hendrix of the soprano saxophone I don't I, I, I don't God okay morning edition. <laughs> So let's bring it back now. Okay, so what do we have here? We have first the stile antico, the circle of fists, this ancient harmonic progression that says, hey, we are smart and trustworthy. And B, we have something that in 1979 was not only contemporary and cool, mm -hmm. but literally like the, the paragon of adult African-American sophistication, hmm. which says a lot about A, like the kind of audience they were reaching to, which is maybe a more diverse audience than we might expect. And B, like how our understanding of those sounds have changed in the intervening years. Interesting, right. Because underlying this is like the age-old criticism that NPR doesn't reach its intended public community, that it's too white, it's too old, it's of a certain demographic, it serves an urban population. And and I'm totally blown away because when you first played the classical thing, I was like, yeah, everyone knows <laughs> NPR is too erudite. I didn't know the history of the the jazz sound. Yeah. I, I, was, I went right to Kenny G. So, huh. you know, keeping that in mind, let's take a quick break and come back and listen to this new theme song and think about what kind of audiences that might be engaging with. Cool. Support for Switched On Pop comes from Stereophonic, Broadway's must-experience-new play. If you're anything like us, you're obsessed with music. Not just listening to it, but everything behind the scenes as well. What makes a good band? What makes a great song? And what does it take to make it big? All of these questions and more are explored in the remarkable new Broadway play, Stereophonic. The New York Times, The New Yorker, and New York Magazine call it best of the year, and Peter Marks of The Washington Post says, okay, I'll go there. Stereophonic is the best play of the year. Written by David Ajme, directed by Daniel Aachen, and featuring original music by Arcade Fire's Will Butler, the story follows an up-and-coming 1970s rock band as they gather in a California music studio to record a brand new album, but it's a bumpy ride that threatens to tear the band apart. You may find yourself being reminded of the famous recording processes for legendary bands like Led Zeppelin, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, and Fleetwood Mac. So get your tickets now and see Stereophonic live on Broadway this spring. Visit StereophonicPlay.com slash Vox for more info. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. 
Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Okay, so as we mentioned, Morning Edition has a brand new theme song. And if you thought something as anodyne as a a public radio show slightly altering its theme music could not be controversial, you would be completely wrong. Because this (laughs) has generated so much attention. And to quote the NPR ombudsman, uh, she describes the, uh, in a very characteristic NPR fashion, she says, the vast majority of the reaction has been negative. So let's spin this new uh, controversial Morning Edition theme song. Okay, a little funky. Yeah. Are you hearing the original theme in here at all? And I think it becomes a little more explicit right here. There's a lot of different sounds in here. Lots. Claps. Ooh, rising melody. Reverb tail. <laughs> huh. Immediate reactions here. I really like the opening. Okay. It's really long. Mm. There's a few sounds that I almost didn't want in there. It definitely is the old theme song kind of just reimagined. Yes. Yeah. That's what comes to mind. Except it doesn't have that circle of fist progression from the original, which kind of bums me out a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, like, as I said, like, if we're trying to escape the overly wonky mm. side yeah, of NPR, yeah. maybe dropping the classical reference works. Okay, so this is interesting. I think what I'm hearing, and, and I think I agree that they're clearly trying to capture the diversity of like American public radio listeners, I think. Right. And in, in doing so, like have all these different sounds. It's kind of like as you go through, you hear one thing and then another and then another. It's kind of right. like a tour, like the Epcot Center of yeah. uh, musical styles. Yeah. And I did read a few things about this when it, when it came out, which was that like the thing was actually made by a committee. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it has to be. There's no way like any just one artist gets to compose this. And it was made by a... Uh, a music agency that composes things for HBO and other places like that. So why do you think it's generated so many negative reactions? And we'll link to a great piece by uh, Adam Ragusea in the end where he goes through basically everything he hates about this piece. <laughs> but we don't need to do that. Other people it's a good have done analysis, that work. though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Big fans of, of Adam's work. But like, why, like, why is this generating so much negative feedback, do well, you think? A, definitely change. Like, just everyone, it's the thing, like, if they hadn't even announced it mm. and had just like whoop, played it in 
people will probably be on their drive and like forget and tune out and eventually just get used to it. Yeah. But like we've been we've been primed to have an opinion. So that's I think that's the first thing that's going to happen. Interesting. And you know, we also have a decades old relationship. It's not just change. This is something which is uh, the smell of toast. Yeah. Right. right? So like, what are we going to like, what are you going to smell now? So we have these deep, deep, deep personal associations to the thing. Okay. So Charlie, at this point, let's spin the new theme one more time and see if we can't pick out what they might be trying to reference through some of these musical decisions. I mean, I'm hearing a mixture of acoustic instruments and then sample bass instruments. Mm, yeah. So the most predominant change here is a four to the floor kick drum. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. And then there's like some sweeping like whoosh kind of sounds here and yeah. there, which are sort of like EDM-ish. Yeah. Um, at the end, there's a weird clap sample, which I think is actually far too high in the mix. It's actually my only thing I really don't like about this theme song is just the mix of that clap is really yeah. loud. Okay, this is cool. So maybe it's not that they're actually saying like, oh, we're going to reference these specific genres or these specific, you know, uh, world musical styles, but more we're going to incorporate these general sounds from the 21st century into this theme. Yeah. Risers, four on the floor, bass drum. I mean, that could be in the the back of a house track (laughs) for sure. And then these claps, which you would find in, I don't know, anything from like a Big Sean track (laughs) to, um, you know, the new Jonas Brothers song. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's more about the arrangement choices. Mm. There was no point where where they were like, oh, here here's a here's a trap song, right? right. Like there's <laughs> like there was not one point where I was like, I knew the song they were deriving from or like the particular style. It's just the instruments. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So do you think that serves the purpose? Does that meet the requirements of sounding more contemporary to you? Yeah, I think it's I think it's perfectly effective. You know, I part of me just wants to not even judge this song until another three decades have elapsed and I can see how it sort of like sat with us and becomes like part of our new a new cultural touchstone Hmm. and that you know might be a cool way to pivot to another discussion I want to have regardless of how you feel about this Hmm. new theme yeah you know there's another NPR theme that has everything you want and that's (laughs) all things considered it's my favorite theme Wait, is that a different rhythm than the one before? We'll talk. We'll, let's we'll dig into the details of it I in a second. It. Yeah. But what I want to first start with, yeah. I mean, we're on the same page though, Chuck. Yeah. Like, I love this song, and I'm just gonna lay all my cards in my on the table. Yeah. I even prefer this to the morning edition in the first place. Like, serve different purposes though. Yes. I actually think like acoustically and what it's doing is actually trying. One is waking you up, and one is sort of like taking you home. Oh, interesting. Oh yeah. Because all things considered, comes on in the afternoon. Yeah. Oh. Deep, drive time show yeah deep. yeah yeah okay yeah, so okay. this is like getting you through traffic get yeah, home yeah. it's like it's evening music oh fascinating yeah okay so what's what's wild about this one though is unlike morning edition yeah this theme song what we're listening to is already the end result of a number of changes to to the theme so let's go back to the first all things considered theme by huh. don vogeli in 1976 Ooh, ouch that's a harsh sound This is switched on Bach. Yeah, totally. Props to Wendy Carlos. 
But Charlie, the best part is coming up in the next variation here. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Rising arpeggiated. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so almost entirely synthesized and sequenced, but also very classical. Yeah. I referenced Switched on Bach. Who inspired our, our, name, our names, which was totally. which was very popular at the time, using the synthesizer on old music. Okay, fast forward to 1983. We'll hear the development of this all things considered theme. Much more in the classical tradition, and here we start to get the da 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 that rhythm, which makes it sound. It's like a Morse code. Is that what you're going for? Yeah, it's, like a telegram. Yeah, it's like a telegram wire service. Everything. Whenever you see like a a movie that has oh. something news, where they're like, da, 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 and it's used that kind of telegram sound is used in all kinds of allied forces on the beaches of Normandy. Our boys are coming in fast for the but they've come to give us a run for their money. Yeah, exactly. So totally. Yeah, and. Well, and you hear that in the other one too. Yeah, yeah, but oh. we're gonna get there. Okay, Just stop, sorry. Chill, slow your roll. We're gonna get there. But yeah, this is definitely more classical, more developed. You know, interestingly, still hearing this circle of fifths motion. That oh. actually is something that connects us from All Things Considered <gasps> to Morning Edition. You wake up and you go to bed both with the uh, circle of fifths. Now, fast forward to 1995, and we get the current iteration of the All Things Considered theme song, recomposed by the great jazz trombonist Wycliffe Gordon. This is the section that's really new. Yeah. And it's not smooth jazz. Is this bop? What is this? Yeah. This I love. Yeah. Okay, and let's just hang out here in this kind of vamp tail fade out section of the 1995 Wycliffe Gordon All Things Considered theme. Okay, I think what's happening here, yeah. why this is so compelling, and like you, I'm the same way. I'm like, whoa, I could listen to this all day. Uh, I think what's happening here is we've got two rhythms going on at once, polyrhythm. Ah, uh, yes. We have one rhythm that's in three, dot, 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 one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And we've got another rhythm kind of drawn from the original, bum, 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 that's in four. One, two, three, four, two, two, three, four. Yeah. And now what Wycliffe Gordon is doing is like he's putting them on top of each other at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So at once we're hearing one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. If you put those together, it's like. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. How's that party trick over for you? I've worked on that a long time, and I'm so glad to finally be able to share it on the show. 
Um, and that's like super exciting to listen to because yeah. your mind is literally being torn in two directions. It's oh like my gosh. Even yeah. division, odd division, three, four. I can't yeah. make up my mind and I can't stop listening. Yeah. So this is a very, I, I mean, let's just like, I, I kind of want to step back now and say like, regardless of whether you uh, love or, or hate the new Morning Edition theme song, like trust that all things considered will always be there for you. <laughs> the other thing I love about this theme is that it's been recomposed in so many beautiful ways. This is my favorite thing about it too. Yeah. Every single time you hear it on the show, they play it in different contexts depending upon the sort of emotion of the story. Well, it's also gone, this one especially has gone beyond the world of NPR into the world of popular music at large. Oh. Like, check this out. This is this incredible arrangement of this tune by easily my all-time favorite acapella group, Take Six. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God, my heart is racing. So that is just like a masterclass in vocal harmony. Oh and my gosh. I mean, I would just listen. I would listen to that on repeat. It's it's so good. The timbres are so beautiful. Each person's voice, the way that they take on the instruments. It's amazing. Okay, Charlie. And now I want to end our conversation mm -hmm. with another pop version, another sort of recomposition of the All Things Considered theme. Yeah. And this one's by one of your all-time favorite bands. Is it Breakmaster Cylinder? Nope. That's uh, a great guess, though. Um, Shouts to BMC. Go reach deep. Reach deep. I know you've been talking about Nine Inch Nails a lot on the podcast and your youthful love of that band, but go even deeper. It's fish. It's fish. Oh. <laughs> you've, you've exposed me. That's funny. I mean, cool. it's this is the yeah. fishiest fish that was ever fished. This yeah. is so I love what they've done here. Yeah. And but I, I, I'm being a little tongue in cheek, yeah. but like yeah. also let's get to the end of the song because something really interesting happens that brings this whole episode full circle. Okay, they turn this song into a fugue. Like we were Ooh. talking about Morning Edition and how it's using these old Baroque Bach properties of music. Now, Fish takes all things considered and just makes that manifest. You can't just drop an F-bomb and not explain what you're talking about.
feel justified in why I loved fish growing up. They're, they're the best. <laughs> That's amazing. You dropped the F-bomb, and I don't know if everybody's going to be familiar. I'm not going to define fugue in the last two minutes of an episode. <laughs> we'll cover that in a future. All it's right. just, it's a Baroque technique. Yeah. We get a, a reference to what we were hearing in back in Morning Edition, like the circle of fists, the stile antico, this old school Baroque approach. I mean, you hear this and it sounds like Bach. Mm, Bach does rock. <laughs> Okay, at this point, we've spent more time than anyone probably should dissecting uh, various NPR themes. But my takeaway is that, like, regardless of whether we do or don't like this new theme, these themes will continue to, like, ramify through our worlds in ways that we can never expect and will occupy yeah. roles in our life that we can't expect. So, like, I'm, I'm curious to sit with this for a while and listen to it day in, day out, and see how my appreciation of it changes over time. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting that the cultural historical associations to these sounds are constantly changing based off of the references that we come with. And I didn't know anything about as, as we talked about in the first half about smooth jazz and how it had multiple racial vectors that I think actually became associated to NPR. Um, and I didn't even realize the sort of importance of uh, music made for adults. And it's something I, I actually would like to explore further in the show at another time because there's a whole world of music that is geared towards young people and another world that is geared towards adults. And different audiences and different genres have tried to sort of seize an adult listening audience, another thing often much maligned. And I think there's probably something worth unpacking more there. If there's some sort of ageism going on, what's there? Mm. I think there's a, a lot of ripe discussion to be had. Cool, I look forward to it. Switch on Pop is produced by moi, Nate Sloan. And me, Charlie Harding. Our engineering, mixing, and mastering is done by Brandon McFarland. Our community manager is Sarah Terry. Nishat Karwa and Allison Rocky are our executive producers. We are a production of Vox Media. You can find more episodes of our show anywhere podcasts exist. And you can always reach out to us. Contact at switchedonpop.com. Twitter at switchedonpop. Anywhere else, switchedonpop. We're out there. We'll be back again in another week. And we promise you more pop hits. Until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. Support for Switched on Pop comes from Stereophonic, Broadway's must-experience new play. If you only see one thing on Broadway this year, make sure it's Stereophonic, written by David Ajme, directed by Daniel Aachen, and featuring original music by Arcade Fire's Will Butler. The play follows a 1970s rock band on the verge of breaking down, breaking up, or breaking through. The New York Times, The New Yorker, and New York Magazine call it best of the year. And Peter Marks of The Washington Post says, okay, I'll go there. Stereophonic is the best play of the year. Get your tickets at stereophonicplay.com slash fox.